I'd like to begin this morning by asking you a few questions. Would you say that the world is a kinder place today than it was 10 years ago? Would you say that people treat each other with more or less compassion and respect than they did 10 years ago? Would you say that, that there is more or less fear in our culture than there was 10 years ago? Would you say that you are more or less generous with your time and with your money than you were 10 years ago? Would you say that your faith and your spiritual life matter more to you today than they did 10 years ago? I'd be interested to hear your responses to those questions. We're in a sermon series called Matters of the Heart, and we're focusing on the nine fruits of the Spirit that Paul lays out in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 5. We started with love and joy. What does it mean to love? Why is love hard? How does love lead to joy? How does fear keep us from loving? Then last week, we looked at peace and patience. How can we position ourselves to experience more peace in our lives on a regular basis? How can we spread peace to other people, starting with our own family? How can we practice patience in a world where everybody wants what they want, when they want it, right now, and if they don't get it, they grow irritable and frustrated? These are some of the questions that we've been focusing on during the month of February. Today we move on to the next two, kindness and generosity. John tells us a story that we do not find in the Synoptic Gospels, the other three Gospels. A woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law at the time was very clear. Adulterers were to be put to death by stoning, which was a brutal form of execution. Very public, very painful, very shameful. So the scribes and the Pharisees bring her to Jesus to present him with the dilemma. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus knew exactly what they were up to. You see, if he had said, yes, she should be stoned to death, he would lose the reputation that he had gained as being full of love and full of compassion. But if he said, let her go, he would be accused of teaching people to break the law of Moses, and he would be in trouble for that. So what does he do? He takes a few moments to think. He leans down and he writes something in the dirt. We don't exactly know what, but he doesn't respond quickly. He's being trapped. He senses it. But they keep questioning him. It, it's kind of like when you're a minister and some controversial issue comes along and good people have honest disagreements and somebody comes to you and says, Preacher, what do you think? Let's see how he handles this one. Preacher, what do you think about the border wall? Should we build it? Preacher, my husband has cheated on me twice. Should I leave him? Preacher, I've got a serious drinking problem, but I can't afford to go to rehab and take off work for a month. What should I do? 
Preacher, our old church told my daughter that she could never be an ordained minister because she's not a man. How should I feel about that? Preacher, my 17-year-old daughter is pregnant and she just got accepted into the college of her dream. What should we do? Become a grandparent? Guys, I could go all day long. There's so many situations where preachers and rabbis get backed into a corner and asked the difficult questions. Jesus stands up, he looks at them, and he gives an incredibly brilliant response. Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And one by one, they dropped their stones and they walked away, leaving Jesus alone with the woman. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Well, neither do I condemn you, so go therefore and sin no more. Jesus says, if you're perfect, if you are without sin, if you've never made a mistake, then go right ahead, stoner. But he knew nobody could, because everybody sins and everybody falls short. Even when we try really hard not to, we fall short. The grace and forgiveness that Jesus demonstrated with this woman is the same grace and forgiveness that God shows to all of us. Some of you remember a, a, a guy by the name of Steve McNair. He lived very close to this church, uh, just a, a few blocks, actually. He was the beloved quarterback of the Tennessee Titans the year that the Titans first came uh, to Nashville. You may also remember what happened on July the 4th, 2009, and how his life came to a tragic end just one year into his retirement from the NFL. He was at a downtown condo with his girlfriend who shot him and then took her own life. The sports world and Nashville were absolutely stunned. I remember watching his funeral on TV. Eddie George and Derek Mason spoke. Then Bishop Joseph Walker, the pastor of Mount Zion Baptist Church here in Nashville, he got up and delivered what I thought was a very powerful eulogy. And Bishop Walker addressed what he called the big elephant in the room. He articulated what everybody was thinking. This hero, this sports legend, this great philanthropist, this role model, this famous son of Nashville was killed as the result of an affair that he was having with a 20-year-old woman, leaving behind a wife and four sons and many friends and millions of fans all over the place. And Bishop Walker referred to this story of Jesus when he encountered the woman who had been caught in adultery, and he talked about how the religious leaders were saying that she should be stoned to death for her actions in accordance with the law, but Jesus shocks them all. And so Bishop Walker stood at that funeral and he said, I have come to declare a stone-dropping contest. He said, next time you think about writing about Steve McNair, drop your stone. Next time you text somebody about him, drop your stone. Next time you tweet, drop your stone. What Steve McNair was doing in his personal life was not right. It was wrong. It was irresponsible. It disappointed many, many people, especially his family, 
and it ultimately ended his life. But I do think that it's time for many people in our society and many people inside of the church to drop their stones and to practice forgiveness and compassion. We all sin. We all need forgiveness. We all need new beginnings. And Christ offers that. And so we should accept that and then go and offer it to other people. So what does it mean to be kind? To others. I think a lot of people in our culture have forgotten what it means to be kind. I like what Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, our second reading this morning, which is basically an epistle that was written from prison in Rome as a letter of encouragement for the Christian life. First, he says this, putting away falsehood, let us speak the truth to our neighbors. Tell the truth. One of the kindest things that we can do in life is simply tell the truth. Not just some of the time, not just when it's convenient for us, but all of the time. It also means not perpetuating gossip that may or may not be true. People will make things up and then pass them along as though it's the truth. And if it's not the truth, it can go and do a lot of damage. I don't know what's going on with this guy in Chicago but he's being accused of staging a hate crime. If that's true, it's very troubling. There are enough hate crimes in our culture already. We don't need to stage any new ones. Tell the truth. Veritas. Seek the truth. Live the truth. Search for the truth. Second, when trying to be kind to other people, don't act out in anger. Whenever we are angry, we usually say and do things that we regret. Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Paul is acknowledging that we will experience anger. What he's saying is, don't let your anger drive you to do something that you will regret. Yes, you will have anger. Yes, you will be angry. But don't act on it and, and, and do or say something that you can't take back. Andy Stanley is a pastor in Atlanta, somebody that I have respect for. He founded the North Point Church that now has lots of campuses all over the country. But Andy wrote a book called Enemies of the Heart. And in that book, he talks about four negative emotions that often control us and not in a good way. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. And when it comes to anger, he says this, the root of anger is the perception that something has been taken, something is owed to you, and now a debt-to-debtor relationship has been established. We get angry in life when we don't get what we want. Let me say that again. We get angry in life when we don't get what we want. Andy Stanley says, show me an angry person and I will show you a hurt person. And that person is hurting because something has been taken. Someone owes them something. If nothing else, an apology. Think about it. We get mad in life when we don't get what we want. But nobody ever said that life was fair. And nobody ever said that we should get everything that we want. To be kind, we must acknowledge that we will experience anger, but we can't act on it. We can't let it control us. We can't let it overcome us and overtake us. Third, in order to be kind, 
We must work to build other people up, compliment them, encourage them, praise them. John Maxwell, I love what John Maxwell says over and over again. He says, how do you know if someone needs encouragement? He says, if they have a pulse, they need encouragement. Paul says, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Some of you are familiar with Gary Chapman's now famous book called The Five Love Languages. Uh, I wish I had written that book. Donovan, why didn't you write that book? Uh, Gary Chapman says there are five basic ways that we show love to each other in marriage and in relationships. What are those five ways? Quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation, acts of service, and gifts. He says these are the basic ways that we show love to each other. And so you need to be aware what your spouse or what your significant other's love language is. Uh, Megan's is words of affirmation. I have to know that. I need to compliment her. I need to build her up. Most guys don't want to do that because they think it's cheesy. They think it's, you know, they don't, it's not natural for them. But that's her love language. I need to be familiar uh, with that. I need to tell her how pretty she looks. I need to tell her uh, what a great physician she is, what a great mom she is. That means a lot to her, even if it's not natural for me to do that. People need encouragement they need compliments. Kindness involves building people up on a regular basis. But that takes effort and that takes intentionality. This guy, John Gottman, out at the University of Washington, he says, uh, just like we got five love languages, there are four things you got to avoid in your marriage. Four things you need to avoid in your relationships. Criticism, defensiveness, which is usually the result of criticism, stonewalling, and then the worst of the four is contempt, because that will make a relationship toxic before you know it. Lastly, kindness involves forgiveness. Now, I talk a lot about forgiveness. Jesus talked a lot about forgiveness. Maybe it's a reminder to myself that I need to practice forgiveness more often. Paul says this, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. I preach forgiveness because it's not easy. It's really easy to preach, but it's not as easy to practice. Our lives will be miserable if we don't learn how to forgive. We can only live in the present moment. We can't change the past. We can't control the future. We can learn from the past, but it's really, really hard to be kind to somebody if you're constantly thinking about something that they did to you in the past and you keep bringing it up over and over and over again. I'm not saying that you excuse what happened or you say it's okay, but who wants to live in a world where your past mistakes define you? Lots of different people in politics are learning this right now. But does anybody here want to live in a world where your past mistakes, whatever they are, define you for the rest of your life? 
When we learn to be kind in life, it naturally leads to generosity because being kind and selfish do not go well together. When we are kind and when other people are kind to us, it causes us to be generous, to be generous with our time, to be generous with our talents, to be generous with our money. David Brooks is somebody that, that I enjoy reading. It's not that I always agree with what David Brooks says, but I like a lot of, of what he has to say. And he's been tracking the challenge of social isolation in American culture for the past, I don't know, three or four years. And he wrote an op-ed this past week that appeared in the New York Times where he talked about, and by the way, I want you to know I read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal before any of you start wondering about that. I read both of them. But the op-ed talked about an idea that he launched at the Aspen Ideas Festival last summer. And he said, we've got a big problem in our culture because every year 47,000 people commit suicide. And every year 72,000 people die of drug addiction and drug overdose. The concept that he presented is the idea of being a weaver somebody who intentionally works to build relationships and connections in local communities. He said, our culture needs more of that right now. And I agree with him. Our culture needs more people who are committed to weaving than we have right now. Brooks said this, he said, when we stereotype and abuse and impugn motives and lie about each other, we've ripped the social fabric and encouraged more ugliness. When we love across boundaries and listen patiently, see deeply and make someone feel known, we've woven it and reinforced generosity. Let me read that quote again. When we stereotype, abuse, impugn motives and lie about each other, we've ripped the social fabric and encouraged more ugliness. When we love across boundaries, we listen patiently, see deeply, and make some, someone feel known. We've woven it and reinforced generosity. Kindness and compassion go a long way in life. It's been said before that people might forget what you said to them, and people might forget what you did to them, but people will never forget how you made them feel. That will stick with them. So remember that as you live your life this week. People will never forget how you made them feel. Amen.